Sunday, Austin. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. All right. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio 1370, streaming live at talkradio1370am.com. I am Teresa Kuhn, your host and your bank on yourself, authorized advisor, helping individuals, families, business owners just like you live wealthier by helping you improve your cash flow, increase your net worth, your retirement income, and money you leave to your loved ones when you die without risk. If you're wondering how Bank on Yourself can help you get rid of banks, finance companies, credit card companies, grow your wealth without chasing risk, without being worried about what the economy is doing, what the stock market is doing, whether you have the right investment mix in your portfolio, or maybe you still want to participate in the stock market, but realize you need a better place to park your money, where you will enjoy a higher rate of return for your liquid money CD savings, check out our website, livingwealthyradio.com. You can contact us there, check out what we do, read all the testimonials from our many satisfied clients, request a free report, CD, DVD, or even a free New York Times bestselling book by my colleague, friend, Pamela Yellen. So check us out at livingwealthyradio.com. Today, we have a special guest with us. Mr. Marvin Bulis from Michigan. Marvin is also a colleague of mine, a Bank on Yourself authorized advisor, one of only 200 in the entire country. But Marvin has a little bit different background in that he for many years specialized in working with families that were trying to plan better for college and save for college. And he did a great job at helping those families get their kids through college, minimizing the amount of money that they would pay for college out of pocket, increase the aid available to them, the financial aid available to them, and still keep money working for them for their retirement. So Marvin, welcome to Living Wealthy Radio. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, you had a little bit of a different background before you started working with families in, in college planning. And of course, today, working primarily with Bank on Yourself. But tell us about what you were doing way back when, when you were working in banking. Oh, wow. Well, before this world that I like to get up and uh, do every day, uh, I used to work for a regional bank. I got out of college and, and decided to find a job in the real world where, you know, uh, we would just uh, go in every day, uh, create a little bit of wealth for my family and, and do what I thought was right. And you know, oh, Why not? Let's go to a regional bank and build a career there. I was on a path to, well, do pretty much anything I wanted within that company. Uh, unfortunately for me, every day that I got up, I didn't really feel like I was making a difference. And even worse, when when I got more into uh, the, the the banking world, uh, I realized I might have been even doing more harm than good by by putting people with with loans and, and, and investments that maybe really wasn't in their best interest, but was in the best interest of the company that I worked for. Uh, I floated around. I did anything from branch management to call center management for them, and I was even decisioning loans for a little while. But one day, I, I just realized that. It, wasn't for me. I, I wasn't at the end of the day feeling satisfied with what I did. And and 
that's when I discovered the whole world of, of being able to, to work with clients and, and help them grow wealth without risk uh, and, and address all the problems that they've been having in their financial life by following convention. And that's, that's where I am today. And today, at the end of the day, when you've helped people become their own source of financing, very different, right? They get to pocket the profits in their own circle of wealth as opposed to the bank who you were working for pocketing the profits into their, their balance sheet. So you feel certainly different today every day, right? <laughs> It's a very liberating feeling knowing that I am making a difference in everybody's life. Every client that I work with now, they know they have another option available to them that they didn't know existed before they met me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's awesome. Whether they choose to, to act on something like that or not, they now have something else available than what they had previously. Well, today's show is about options for college planning and such an important topic. So many families today are struggling with how they're going to pay for college for their families, for their kids, right? Um, and really, you know, Snoop, who's our engineer ha- here at the show, just had a baby. And I know before that baby was born, he was thinking, you know, how am I going to not only take care of this child, but also send this, this child to college one day with college being as expensive as it is? And you really developed um, an area of expertise and, in fact, probably understand college planning better than uh, most any other advisor out there. Is that correct? Well, that's where we started to build our practice uh, uh, earlier on. We found a very, very big problem with the whole process of college funding, just like Snoop found out. Hey, it's, it's, it's relatively expensive if you start looking at it right now. And I got some bad news for you, but uh, 18 years from now, it's probably going to be more. <laughs> so, and it's coupled with the fact that uh, we have shrinking resources being given to us. So, not only personally, but from the government. So, what are we going to do? You know, how how is it even possible to get uh, a college education for your kids without bankrupting everything and going into debt? Well, you know, we looked into that. Uh, we spent so many hundreds or, or even, even thousands of hours figuring out what is the best vehicle for that. How are we going to get the kids through college in a comfortable manner, in the most comfortable manner possible, without derailing everything else, like your future? So, and, yeah, that's what I've been spending a lot of time doing. So how, how does someone plan for college? Obviously, the, the earlier they start, like before Snoop's baby was born, right? It was probably the ideal time to start planning. But for most families, that's not realistic. Yeah, that's absolutely right. When you're a new family starting out, when, when you're trying to buy a house and, and buy a reliable source of transportation and you're early in your career and all this stuff happens, then you have a baby, all these expenses pile up and it's extremely difficult. To, to save anything for, for anything at that point. But it's something that you really need to address, even if it's minor, even if it's somewhat inconsequential to you, uh, you need to really start addressing that as soon as possible. So what do you tell your clients to do? it's almost impossible for most people to do. So what do you tell clients to do? Uh, well, I would sit down with the typical client, and, and uh, unfortunately, the motivation just isn't there for most clients to sit down with me about college funding until it's almost too late, uh, until the, the client has a student that's thinking about going to school to college in the next three or four years. Usually freshmen, sophomores in high school, 
their parents start worrying about it. They start sweating bullets because they know they should have done it a long time ago, but either it just didn't come up or they didn't put a plan in place or they simply didn't have the money. So uh, we look at those situations, and, and, and that's what my typical client comes in to me at. And that's exactly right. You know, we've got hundreds of clients that we work with. And part of the planning that we do when they've got young kids, certainly we talk about college planning and the money that we put aside for the future. We do talk about, hey, this money can be used for retirement. It can be used for college. It can be, you know, there's so many uses for that money. We don't have to allocate it early on, which is one of the great things about the type of planning that we do. But many times with college planning specifically, you're meeting with clients that their kids are already in high school and they're staring at that big college tuition in the face. Is it too late for them? No. No, it's not. Why not? For the, for the majority of the clients and people out there in that situation, it really isn't too late. There are a lot of resources in your life that you don't know exist. And if I am able to look at your life and figure out, okay, where are you spending your money? Where are you getting your money? Where are you saving your money? And if I'm able to look at that and, and redesign it in such a way that you're able to save more, uh, that you're able to, to change things around just a little bit, the cash flow that you create can be used to fund a college education. Now, not only that, but there are resources out there that people don't know about and don't fully understand. The first one is the FAFSA, uh, the federal application, the free application for federal student aid. Most people think that they don't qualify for any need-based financial aid whatsoever. And they think they don't qualify because they're making too much money. Exactly. People making $100,000 a year or $150,000 a year or even in in my personal case, I I look back in my client history and I was actually able to obtain need-based financial aid for a client who made close to $200,000 a year. So would you say $200,000 is the upper limit? It depends, because everything that goes onto the FAFSA form and everything that goes to determine your eligibility for need-based aid, it it revolves around uh, the way you're financially positioned. And income is just one of the telling signs. Uh, If you have, in this day and age, a $200,000 income and you have one child going to a community college, you're not going to get any need-based aid. But there are still things you can do to minimize the expense for college. Like what? Well, uh, would you, for example, rather pay for college if you had the choice to pay with pre-tax dollars or post-tax dollars? What would you do? Well, it depends where my thinking is coming from, right? If it's conventional or not conventional. So what does a typical client, how would a typical client answer that? Theoretically, you don't want to pay taxes, and, and, and let me reframe that question. <laughs> would you rather be? Would you rather pay tax on the money you're sending off to a college or not? No. Exactly. Most people don't know that that's an option, but it is. For some people, you can you can pay for college without paying the taxes on the money going to that college. Hmm. And how would one do that? Well, it depends, and, and, and that is on an individual basis. I, I'd be happy to go through that uh, on, a, on a client-by-client basis, but it does involve uh, owning a business. Mm, okay, very good. 
And this is the kind of counseling and advice that you can give um, to a client if they do own a business or not, whether they, what would be the most beneficial way of, of, of positioning their assets and their money so that they can either get aid or pay tuition if they're going to end up paying tuition, right? If they've got to pay out of pocket, whether they can do so pre-tax or after tax. Absolutely. And let's face it, most people are going to come up with, have to come up with some type of dollar amount that's going to the college out of their pocket. Mm -hmm. Well, we manage that by taking a look at what you can afford and how you can pay that back to yourself. Mm -hmm. It all dovetails into treating your money with the same respect that you treat somebody else's. Even if you have a half a million dollars saved and you have five kids going to Harvard, uh, there, you should recapture that money because if you don't, it's gone forever and it's derailed for your future use. Marvin, you and I get together with, with what I call the SEAL team of Bank on Yourself Advisors weekly. And we study cases and we study the math and how this concept works on a level that, you know, most 99% of other advisors just are absolutely clueless about. And one thing that we've discovered in our weekly sessions, right, is if somebody did have half a million dollars put aside to pay for college and they had five kids and they decided they wanted to send their their kids to, to Harvard or, or to an Ivy League or even to a public university, it would not serve them well to spend that money on tuition because it would affect their retirement greatly. Absolutely. And I've got even better news for people who, who want to talk with you or me. Uh, the fact is, if you have saved money, it might actually eliminate some of the aid that you could have potentially gotten mm-hmm. had you not saved that money. Mm-hmm. And we have the ability to level the playing field for you. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends the vehicle that they've used to save money right? Absolutely. We've got vehicles where they can actually qualify for aid, having the same amount of net worth, but it's just where they park that money. So going back to that example, if somebody has saved $500,000, which is a lot of money to pay for college, but there are some families out there and you've met them and I've met them that really put a high uh, priority in sending their kids to either their alma mater or a very, very good school. It, it may not serve them to, to spend that money on that tuition, or it may serve them better to reposition that money into some other vehicle or strategy that we work with to maximize the amount of aid and to minimize their out-of-pocket expenses. But, but going back to some of that setting that we do weekly, right? If somebody was to take out $500,000 and pay that intuition, when we ran these numbers, it was almost breathtaking how it affected their retirement and their net worth. Taking that much money out of circulation, so to speak, out of their, their books to pay for tuition, basically those parents are retiring broke. Um, because they no longer have that money working for them unless they use our strategies. Absolutely, Teresa. There, there are ways to minimize your cost for, for the college experience, and, and there are ways to maximize your eligibility for aid. That's the bottom line, and that's really what we try to do. Mm-hmm. We try to get those kids through college in the most comfortable manner possible 
without derailing your retirement. Mm-hmm. Well, when we get back uh, after uh, our station break, we're going to talk about some strategies for financial aid and some of the myths out there, because there's a lot of misinformation about financial aid. And Marvin, you'll share some information in that regard when we get back. Absolutely. All right. This is Teresa Kuhn, Bank on Yourself Authorized Advisor. Check us out at livingwealthyradio.com. We will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Living Wealthy Radio. This is Teresa Kuhn, streaming live at livingwealthyradio.com, also at talkradio1370am.com. We are here today with Marvin Willis discussing college planning. Marvin is a college planning specialist, and he does do out-of-the-box college planning, financial planning. Marvin, we were talking about paying for college and financial aid. And what is the average cost of tuition for a four-year education today? Right now, if you want to send your child to an in-state state school, meaning, you know, not, not any type of elite in-state school, but the average cost is, is upwards of eighteen to $20,000 now. Does that and include tuition? And that's the cost of and... attendance. It's not just the tuition. It's not just the, the um, tuition and room and board. It's all the incidentals that go along with college that you might not really be thinking of. So that's a lot of money, right? And it's, they say four years, but there are very, very few college graduates I've met that have accomplished that these days in four years. Unfortunately, that's the, that's the case, Teresa. You're, you're absolutely right. What we're seeing today is, is a migration of that four-year degree just lagging and, and getting longer and longer. And there's not really a huge reason for that outside of the fact that when kids go into college, they aren't as focused on what they really want to do. Uh, who can blame them? There's so much to do in this world. But, you know, if you're not focused on what you really want to do and you might pick the wrong school, you might end up wanting to to really get into veterinary medicine, so you end up going to Michigan State University, and then something changes your life drastically, and, and you want to go into dental school. You're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. Mm. Well, and also, I think, gosh, at 18, 19 years old, deciding what you want to do for the rest of your life, that's a tremendous amount of pressure on anyone. I I knew I liked money. I wanted to work with money. I got my degree in finance. It was so easy for me. But I know so many people struggle with, you know, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And then here, you know, the the student is helping to pay uh, for their tuition, or they see their parents struggling to pay for tuition, at least a hundred thousand dollars and maybe they're not excited about their major that's a lot of pressure that's tough it sure is and that's why just like everything else in life that we've ever seen including the your financial background the more prepared you are and the more thought you put into something earlier on the easier it's going to be so if we can get the kids earlier maybe your freshman year really starting to think about what's going on and and what interests you, what makes you tick, Uh, and keep that going. The pressure isn't going to be on in their senior year or their freshman year of college to pick something out because they'll have been thinking about it every day for the last four years. Well, I'm a big proponent of testing for aptitude 
right? You know, if I if I had chosen engineering, actually, I chose accounting first, and I did not have the aptitude for accounting. And I realized very, very quickly, you know, this was not my major. And so I switched majors to finance. But I'm all for career counseling and aptitude testing. And that's not to say that if somebody doesn't have a natural aptitude for something that they can't do well in it, it's just makes it a much tougher road to how, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's, I, I, I meet with parents all the time, and, and I ask them about this, and it's very important because you can see the looks on their faces when you ask them about their job and how they came to it and, and how, how happy they are with their job and when they want to retire. <laughs> That's the question. And when you ask somebody when you want to retire and they say as soon as possible, they pick the wrong career. Isn't that sad? That's yeah. so sad. I, you know, that's one of the things that I really, really talk about with my clients. You know, if, if today you're in a job or a career or a position that you're not crazy about, what are you waiting for to get a life and to get the life that you really want? There's nothing sadder to me than spending hours upon hours upon hours at something that you're not passionate about, you don't like. Ah, oh, to me, that would be just living hell. And I know many, many people are stuck in a job where they feel they can't change. And I think there are options, but you certainly don't want to put your child to that same hell. And I, I really hate seeing parents say, you know, I want my child to be a dentist because I was a dentist, or I want them to be an accountant because you can make good money. No, you find, you help that child find their passion and then help that child figure out a way to monetize that passion. And I think that career counseling and aptitude counseling can really help. But then how do they pick the right school? What can you say to that? Well, there are a lot of ways to, to go check out the right school. Uh, the best, absolute best way is to actually go to that school prior to you uh, applying. Spend some time on that campus. They have campus tours. They have things to, to help you get familiar with that school. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be using Michigan State a lot because I, I live here in Michigan, and uh, it, it's a huge, huge school. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the campus, but it's known. ridiculous. Uh, if you're a shy, maybe introvert person, uh, and, uh, and you don't really have that aptitude of meeting people and, and, and mixing with people and having 300 people in your class, guess what? You're going to hate it there. And it doesn't matter if they've got the best teachers for your, for your studies, and it doesn't matter if they've got the, the best program. You're going to dislike it. Um, uh, same thing as uh, if you do need that interaction with people and, and you go to a place like, I don't know, Hope College or Albion, uh, a smaller private university, uh, you're not going to potentially get the interaction that you need there. So that's just one example, fitting personality with school personality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other factors as well, especially the programs. Uh, if you decide that, uh, my earlier example uh, it could be veterinary medicine. It could be dent dental. Well, you know, that's, that's quite a bit different. But you should be looking at a university that fits your personality and has all the programs that you might want to do. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you might have to transfer. And you know what's really surprising when I learned this, Marvin, that many times a private school can be more affordable than a public school. So many families out there think, well, you know, we can't afford private schools. So, uh, you know, Johnny's going to have to figure out a way to, to find himself, you know, at a public university and find the major that he wants at a public university. Talk about that. Oh, absolutely. When they determine cost of attendance, uh, it's just like looking at a price tag on a vehicle. 
if you look at the sticker price on a car and, and, and go ahead and pay that price, well, gosh, I, I don't know what to say other than can I have some money um, <laughs> from you because uh, you're not really paying attention. The deal with colleges are, you know, there are different types of aid that are available. And the private universities that are out there typically have endowments, typically have more money to give away to you. Now, let me explain the four different types of aid that, that are out there. There are grants and scholarships. Everybody knows about those. They're, they're free money that, that either they're through endowments or they're through the federal government. It's just money that, that gets given to the student because of whatever reason, whether it's need-based or academic-based. So those are those two types. But there are also two other types of, of aid that people don't think about all the time, and they're zero-interest loans and college work studies. Now, the zero-interest loans are loans that are subsidized by the government, offered as a need base, and, and given to the student uh, without any payments in school until the student graduates, and then you can set up income-based repayment. Now, and, and that's when you got to start getting charged an interest rate. If you have the ability to use that, well, it's, it's a nice thing to do, um, but, you know, it, it would have been nicer to get free money for sure. So that's one thing you look at. You look at how the schools actually do that, uh, how the schools dole out that aid. If you qualify for $10,000 in financial aid, that school can theoretically give you a mix of $10,000 of, of loans and work studies and zero grant and scholarship. So you really want to find out what that school does for you. And then the bottom line is it would be less expensive to send your child to that private school than it would be sending them to the public school where they may not qualify for any aid or any work-study programs. Well, let's take it back a little bit. Let's say they qualified for $10,000 in need-based aid from a private university over here and a public university over there. And believe it or not, the cost is the exact same. Mm. Say it's $30,000 to go to school. Uh, if, you, if you look at the University of Michigan, public university, thirty grand a year to go to school. Um, so you, you've got two different things going on there. You, you look, okay, I'm eligible for $10,000. More often, there's going to be a school, if you're comparing them, that gives you more free money and less pay, you know, self-help money, the, the, the payback later, or, or the work study, which I really didn't go into. And the work study is just you, you obtain a job on campus, you work, and they know you're there to study and, and, and not to build a career, so they understand it will work around your school schedule. Highly recommended, but it's still money that you have to work for, and it doesn't count against you for financial aid the next year. That's mm -hmm. uh, considered need-based. Now, would you rather go to a school that just pays you that money or, or money that you have to pay back and work for? I'd rather go to a school that just gave me the money, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So it's very important to understand what that school typically gives out to the students. Mm. So you can put that into your, your considerations when you're picking schools as well. And how do you find that information out? Uh, there's a lot of, well, we, we actually pay a company to, to go and research all the schools and what they typically give out. Uh, it's, it's somewhat public information, but you just have to go and collect it all. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, it's somewhat difficult to just pick a, a, a single source that's going to tell you where that is. We actually had to pay a company to compile a software program to do that for us. Mm -hmm. it, it's not e easy to find. And there are a lot of 
I would say uh, unreputable firms out there that try to market this information to families with kids going to college because they've got, they know, a desperate market, right, that will pay whatever to find money. But a lot of times, most of the times, I would say that information is is not worth what the parents have paid for, correct? Yeah, you know, we have trained financial advisors to go out and give free college funding workshops in their neighborhoods. We've trained them to show what all the needs are and, and, and what the colleges are like and, and dispel some myths and, and give a lot of free information and even give a free hour-long appointment in their office. Uh, the problem is there's also companies that will fly into your town, rent a room at a, at a hotel, get everybody you know, through marketing and everything and, and get a whole bunch of people into a room and basically charge them $1,000 to fill out the FAFSA for them mm. and give them a book. Mm. Now, huge problem with that because FAFSA, if you look at the acronym, is free. Okay, The first word is free. You can go out there to um, FAFSA, the, the website, and fill that form out for free. And a lot of times the companies are charging you 1000 or more dollars to give you a book and fill out that form. Which is crazy. Now, the other side of it that those companies actually don't do, and what we do, what we're able to do, is position assets ahead of time to maximize the money available and, and to make your application, the FAFSA application, look better than it would be if you didn't do that initial planning, correct? Absolutely. That is potential. Uh, at the end of the day, we look at your entire financial situation to make sure you're in the best possible situation. You, you look your best. It's just like going to a photo shoot uh, without getting touched up. Not something you'd want to do. No. Right. So most advisors and CPAs, and, and not to put any of them down, it's just this isn't their area of specialty, right? The financial planning that we do is very, very different. We're absolutely out of the box, but I believe the proof is in the pudding. Today, you look around and you see so many Americans just struggling and in a really bad place because they did follow conventional financial wisdom. And they did position their assets and their money um, in Wall Street and other investments like real estate that have left them in really, really shaky ground. Um, but when it comes to financial planning and college planning, specifically uh, our topic today, um, the advice most financial advisors, investment advisors, CPAs give, um, even though well-meaning, you know, they recommend certain strategies that may not be most advantageous for most families. Can you talk about what some of those um, strategies might be? Well, I can tell you what I used to tell people at the bank. Ooh, okay. So you were one of them. Yes, I was. I've repented, though. So yeah, you've, d- you've done me. good. No, you've done good. You've made <laughs> up for that. <laughs> um, the primary thing we used to do, oh, you've got somebody going to school, well, you know, you got a, you own your own home. Why don't we do an equity loan for that? Okay, so well, let, let's address one at a time. So why is that not good advice? Sometimes it is good advice. Yeah, just to be honest with you, it, it, college funding is more or less a cash flow situation. You are now in a situation where you have to come up with more cash somewhere. And it, if that fits into your particular needs, it might be recommended. But I can tell you 90-plus percent of the time, it's a bad move. Because if you can't afford to send your kid to college right now, you're adding a debt that is going to take from your cash flow for a very long time at an undetermined rate. And 
Well, gosh, I don't think you can even get equity loans nowadays right. uh, for, for most Americans whose houses are either at the limit or maybe even underwater. Right. So for many families here, we're thinking, you know what, when the time comes, if I don't have the cash, I'll just tap into my, my home. The value is not there. And banks are making it really, really tough to finance, to take well, the sure. equity out. Right. You know, the, the, the two places that most Americans used to save were in their home and in their retirement plans. That's where they were funneling the majority of their savings and potentially still are. The huge problem with that is that you've got kids that are potentially going to college or getting married or, or, or whatnot, and neither of those places is a, is a liquid, controllable, and accessible place. Mm, right, absolutely. So what's the next strategy that most conventional planners recommend? Oh, you can get college loans. Here, fill out this loan form. Uh, or... Even worse, fill out this plus loan form because this mom and dad is going to make sure that your kids can go to school even though you're going to have the bill for it for the rest of your life. So besides the obvious, right, what's wrong with the college loans or the plus loans? Well, again, in some situations, they can actually be okay. Uh, That might be your only option. And if you do want to go ahead and proceed with it, well, okay. However, Again, for more than 90% of America, it's going to fail, especially the PLUS loans, because the PLUS loans are in the parent's name. Now, if you are sending your child to school, you want the most, and you have to take out a loan, would you want the most advantageous loan possible with the lowest rate and the most favorable payback period? Of course. It's not typically a PLUS loan, because the PLUS loan goes in the parent's name, Typically, you have to start paying it back almost immediately, and uh, it's not a taxable uh, advantage for you to do that. Now, I can't get too deep into taxable situations because I don't hold a CPA. Uh, However, uh, you should certainly consult your CPA about different ways of of being able to do that. And, uh, you know, we we do train CPAs here. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know. Uh, So what other strategies are recommended out there? Really, those are the two primary ones. There's the 529. How about the 529s? You know, the 529 plan, if if you're a sophomore or junior or senior in high school, you're way too late. Way too late. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the 529 plan, I will give it credit because it's proactively telling you as an individual to save for your kid's education. That's great to get on some type of pattern to start saving on a regular basis. But if you put your money in a 529 plan, you're giving up accessibility of that money in case of emergency for other things. You're giving up control of that money. Uh, You're giving up potentially that money itself because the majority of 529 plans can lose value. And so many of them have today. I've got many, many clients who they put away religiously money into their 529 and they put away for 10, 12, 15 years. And today they're getting ready to send their child to college and the money is not there because that money, it's restricted as to where you can invest it, right? And they've lost money. They've got less money in there than what they put in. And when they started, they had looked at all these projections thinking, all right, 15, 18 years down the road, I'm going to have so much money because my money will grow every single year. Yes, that's another myth that's out there, unfortunately. Mm. But uh, you, you do have another option. And if, if my daughter Delaney decides to grow up and be a rock star, uh, 
I'm not going to be in trouble thinking, oh, great, now I've got to pay the taxes on this stuff that I shoved away in a 529 plan, because that's not where I put her college education money. Right. I, you know, I save in different ways that aren't going to affect my eligibility for need-based aid, should I, should I need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it's going to allow me access to it in the meanwhile. Right, right. So. And, and when you take it out, it doesn't affect the growth of that money. So not only do you have it continue to work for you, but at the same time, you can use it for retirement, you can use it to pay for her wedding, for whatever, right? If she decides not to go to college. Absolutely. What is your opinion on the prepaid tuition plans that most states offer? It only works if your student is going to go to a very expensive school. Uh, and it only barely works at that point uh, because they take the average of, of uh, whatever the tuition is if you leave the state. If they, they take the average in-state tuition, and when you leave the state, everybody knows typically that it's more expensive to go and do that. Um, so you're not going to be fully funded. Now, if your child stays in the state and goes to a lesser college, uh, the, the investment that you made isn't going to pay off as, as well as it would if they went to a more expensive school. Mm-hmm. And they may not be going to a more expensive school because of the programs they offer or the, the type of student your student is. Mm-hmm. Again, your opportunities are somewhat restricted. So it can work. And I actually like the prepaid tuition plan. I, I think it's a, a great opportunity. I know my, my, grand, my parents paid for my nephew's prepaid plan in the state of Florida. And it, it worked out fantastic for him until he moved out of state and went to a private school. <laughs> and then, and then you know, it didn't work so good. But his first couple years of school, it was, it was great because they locked in tuition. And uh, his first couple years, it was, it, it was fantastic. But when he went to private school, out came the checkbook um, because it certainly didn't even begin to pay for that tuition. So, That's right. All right. So what are some of the more outside of what we do with Bank on Yourself, but what are the, the more creative strategies you've seen that, that some of your clients have come up with to pay for college? Well, occasionally, uh, we have business owners who, who have the ability. Well, they've, they've got too much income. They're not going to qualify for any need-based aid, but potentially can put their kid to work part-time at their office, at their business, doing something. And if they can pay them through that, if they can go ahead and, 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 and pay their tuition through that, uh, they can do it on a pre-tax basis. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a strategy I do recommend to my clients. If they can legitimately do it, right? Exactly. And, and it has about... to be legitimate and approved by the client's CPA. Exactly. But um, you're paying your, your student, right? At, um, and that student is at a much lower tax bracket than the business owner. Mm-hmm. And that student just pays tuition directly from his his income, and it's a great, great strategy. Another strategy, actually, it was something that we did many, many years ago. We bought a rental property, and uh, we already set aside money for my son's college, so I was thinking more like a master's program or graduate school. So we bought a property and just designated that for my son's graduate school. And that was a great idea, and only the value of the property <laughs> today, I don't know how far it's going to get them today, but at least the thinking was pretty cool way back when. Oh, absolutely. The, the problem with, with almost anything is it's variable. It's, it, it, could, it depends on something else. It depends on something that hasn't been around and, and doing the same thing for 100 years. So there are variations. 
people who save in 529s, you know, there was a report out that uh, as far as investments are concerned, people lost a decade over the last 10 years. We're in pretty much the same place we are now, uh, 10 years ago. Crazy, crazy. What would it be like if you didn't gain a dime in, in, in what you expected and you were expecting 10 to 12% a year? You're in trouble. That's not a good plan. No, no. And in fact, you know, what we do and why we're so passionate about it, and you, you and I just, you know, we go to bed every night knowing that we've served our clients well and that what we've done is safe and it's reliable and it's guaranteed and it's worst case scenario. All the numbers we work with is worst case scenario when we work with a family and we say, hey, 10, 15 years out, we know you absolutely are going to have at least this amount of money. That gives them a great sense of security that their planning is not, you know, pie in the sky. It's for real. Absolutely, Teresa. You know, it can be summed up in, uh, in, our, in our statement, and, and that simply is that everything we do provides families with the confidence and certainty as they arrive at life's most important financial milestones so they don't have to take unnecessary risks. Right. And, and we, what we do, there is no risk, right? And Correct. we're not saying, you know, don't invest in anything else. Bank on yourself is not an either or scenario. You can do bank on yourself. And if you want to take risk, no problem. But when it comes to those important milestones, and, and what are they for most families? Buying a home, buying cars, college, paying for weddings, paying for retirement. Do you want to play the casinos with your money? to pay for those milestones? Or do you want to know for sure that money is going to be there to pay for, you know, the college and the weddings and retirement? That's exactly right. It's safe, it's secure, it's liquid. Uh, and one of the really, really eye-opening things for me, you know, in, in our weekly sessions, when we looked at the numbers and the difference it makes in a family, when they go out and they take, they pay cash out of their savings or their investments for tuition, and they no longer have that money working for them, how far back that sets them for their retirement income. Wasn't that eye-opening for you? Oh, it was absolutely amazing to think if, if you spend a couple dollars here, you're not only passing up on that couple dollars that you had to earn and you had to put somewhere and you had to save and forego something else in your life, you're now giving that dollar up and all of the money it would have made you for that long period of time before you actually retire. Right. And so it's not rate of return. And that's that's one of, I mean, we, you and I could do hours on just myths, money myths, right? Um, Absolutely. It has nothing to do with chasing return. It has everything to do with keeping your money working for you. And once you write that check and that money is no longer working for you in your system, in your circle of wealth, in your, in, in, in your bank account, it sets you back greatly. And I only have one child to pay for college, right? But, but most families have more than one child. They've got two, three, four kids that they're paying for college. That's multiplied that many yep. times. Oh, yeah. Uh, my best friend just found out he's having twins. Ooh. And believe it or not, I told him, and this is the truth, that's a really good college plan. <laughs> the, um, when you have multiple kids in college at the same time, it could actually increase your eligibility for financial aid. That's right. That's right. Because 
to make a long story short, when you fill out the FAFSA form and they look at your income and your expenses and your age and, and what's going on in your life, and they calculate your expected family contribution, which is what the government expects you can be able to pay on an annual basis, that's it. So if it's $20,000 uh, for one child and your child is going to a $15,000 a year school, okay, no aid. But you, if you have two children in school and your estimated family contribution is $20,000, it's now 10000 per child, and you're in an aid eligibility situation. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about aid for a moment. Do you think there's going to be aid available in the future? I mean, the way uh, our economy is growing, you know, going, not growing, how it's going, and uh, how the government is talking about all these cutbacks. Um, is there going to be any financial aid for college? You know, anything is possible in the future at this point. We've seen stuff that we've never imagined would happen. We've seen municipalities going bankrupt. Uh, our tax base is shrinking because our homes are worth less. And the, the government is looking for money everywhere they possibly can because everything is continually spiraling out of control. So we're in a tough situation, Teresa. I, I can't tell you if there's going to be money available for anything in the future. Even if it's the status quo right now and they don't increase uh, anything going into to financial aid for college, if they leave it the same, it's already somewhat scarce. <laughs> so, you know, it's very important to maximize your eligibility for it and, and to fill out the forms properly the first time within the deadlines that most people don't know about. Get what you can. Mm-hmm. And what about tuition? Do you think these colleges and universities can continue to increase tuition? I do. And, and I believe that that's going to continue to happen. Because, you see, where do you think that the universities kept their money? In Wall Street? Unfortunately, they invest where we do. Well, not you and I. But they invest where America invests. Mm-hmm. And when their coffers shrink, they just have less to give. And their so, endowments are down. Giving is yeah, down. Exactly. So it's not that they're evil universities that have to increase the costs because they want more money. It's the fact that their assets are underperforming and there's less money coming into them. But why the 10 to 18 to 20% increase in tuition every year? I mean, that doesn't even keep up with the, you know, the other segments of, of society. Well, college is a business just like anything else, and they are really trying to remain as competitive as possible from an attraction standpoint. They want the best professors. They want the best programs. They want the best uh, athletic programs, things like that. And, and what ends up happening is that stuff costs money. If they need a new computer center, they have to build one, and that's got to come from somewhere. And if they don't have that new computer center, 10% of their students might go somewhere else. So that's really what they're doing. There, there are a lot of crazy increases, but there's a lot of crazy things going on. Well, Marvin, we certainly do provide, uh, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we do provide such a great service for, for families, for our, our clients, not only with what we offer with Bank on Yourself, the, the type of thinking that goes into the planning that we do, but also the resources that we have for families who are getting ready to send their kids to college either next year or four years from now or, or 15, 18 years from now, right? We do have a lot of great resources. They 
they need to contact us, livingwealthyradio.com, livingwealthyradio.com. They can get free information there, a report, CD, DVD, uh, livingwealthyradio.com. We even give away books. You know, whatever they need to get information to start learning about a different way of managing finances, livingwealthyradio.com is where Actually, you, the listening audience, can go and check us out, learn more about a different way of managing your finances, livingwealthyradio.com, positioning your assets so when your children do go to school, go to college, um, you're going to be in a better position to pay for it. Marvin, really, really appreciate you. For many, many years, have been just a, a great mentor and teacher. You know this concept probably better than anyone out there, right? You've been practicing with it. I don't know. How many designs have you worked on? 10,000, would you say? Maybe more? Uh, probably. I, I, I hate to think about how much I spent in front of the, you know. <laughs> but uh, it, it is pretty amazing that uh, that I've been in this for a long time and, and done it. And, and, and I do appreciate that, Teresa. Thank you. I, I appreciate working with you. And for the listening audience, you that's out there that has a child or has children and you're concerned about how you're going to pay for college, either next year, four years from now, or 18 years from now, check us out at livingwealthyradio.com. We've got resources for you. We've got CDs, DVDs, free books. You can make an appointment, no obligation. We are all about getting you the information you need to educate you, to inform you that there are other ways of positioning your money and your assets. So you know for sure you have a clear cut plan of how you're going to pay for college. So Marvin, again, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Teresa. All right, great. And this is Living Wealthy Radio. Check us out at livingwealthyradio.com. informational purposes only. The info being presented does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation and does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax advisor or legal counsel or other professional and you should not use the information in place of a personal consultation regarding your specific situation or needs prior to taking any action based on this information. We believe the info provided is reliable but we do not guarantee its accuracy timeliness or completeness.